it date, I can't even tell you when I began to write this down. I, I started writing down this phrase on my to-do list, and sometimes it winds up each week, sometimes it skips a week, but it's, uh, it's right along there with, you know, uh, not take out the trash, but I mean, just stuff that I've got to get done through the week, uh, preparing a message, uploading a message, different things like this. But right there on that list, I, I've written down this phrase because I felt like it was something that was really, really important. And this phrase is this. What does the world need most from Christians? And it's just a phrase just a, that I've written down. And, and, um, and so, you know, sometimes I'll just get a phrase like that and I'll just think about it. And other times I don't. Okay, so here's the backdrop. This last week, uh, I've been hearing about these wildfires that are happening in Canada. Um, I have family in Canada, and so I was mindful of the fact that, and especially my oldest brother has a lot of lung conditions, been, you know, thinking about him, concerned for his health and how that's affecting the entire nation. He had to travel out west at one point uh, during the midst of, uh, in the last couple of weeks, and was concerned about him. But then this last Tuesday morning, our daughter came back from the gym, and she said, man, the air looks weird outside. I said, oh, you know, probably fog or humidity. And then we looked out. I looked outdoors, and, and I had to go do a, a run for something that day. And I realized, oh no, this isn't fog, and this isn't humidity. This is, this is that smoke. And now, I again, I've got lots of people in my life that struggle with lung conditions. Um, thankfully, I don't have that much of a wrestle. But it was like, oh wow, all of a sudden. Uh, I'm beginning to perk up and say, uh, you know, I need to take a look at what things actually are. You know, because one of them is Denise. Her, she's had pneumonia a couple, two, three times, and so I'm always concerned when the air conditions are not great to encourage her not to go outdoors. And so I'm reading air quality conditions, and I'm like, oh, this isn't good. And uh, by Wednesday, I don't know if you were following the, the numbers on Wednesday, it was lousy. Um, on Wednesday, I was comparing air quality readings with my family in Iowa. Who, you know, I had a brother who said, look at this. This is terrible. I said, yeah, we're 100 points higher than you. We're at 270. And we're just a shake shy of that official reading that says dangerous. So I don't know who officially decided that dangerous starts at 300. At 270, it's just unhealthy. Um, but, you know, it's like, I think at 270, you probably better stay indoors. So Wednesday evening, we had a, a family gather, you know, our, our kids over for uh, a meal. And uh, one of my boys, I said something to him about, you know, the, the air conditions. And, and I made this statement that I've made frequently, which is, man, not good. And then he replied in the tone which he often does to me, which is a slight bit of, little bit of sarcasm. To which he said, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we haven't had environmentalists and activists and scientists telling us things like for the last 30, 40 years, kind of wish they maybe should have warned us that things like this could happen. I said, yes, son. Yes, son, I get your point. They were ignored, and it's not good. And, of course, he's making his point about those who denied climate change. And Anyway. 
But yet during the night, and, and, and it's just, you know, as you guys know, a lot of times I'll be sitting and thinking about stuff during the night, and I'm pondering this exchange, and I went, oh, you know what? Wait a minute. I think I've got somebody that talked to me about the world that I live in before the scientists 30 years ago did, uh, or the environmentalist. If we take the scripture seriously, I have a much older exhortation recorded in the very first chapter of that book. Out of the voice translation, Genesis 1:28. Listen to this. Then God blessed them and gave them this directive: be fruitful, multiply, populate the earth. I make you trustees of my estate. I love that. So care for my creation. And rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that roams across the earth. You know, I, I grew up in a tradition that we really emphasized the ruling over. And we need to do a little bit more paying attention to caring for. And there's been a slow repentance in my life that if we ignore that command, it has results. It isn't good, right? Right? So, I'm fading in and out of sleep. I'm thinking about this, these ideas, you know, ringing in my head. And then, I don't know, a lot of times I get my first wake-up call at 2, 3 in the morning, somewhere in there. And uh, I, I, I don't have an alarm. It's my body that wakes me up. So, I, I, I woke up and this, boom, that phrase hit me. What does the world need most? And so, I picked up my phone, trying not to wake up my wife. Because we had these interesting sleep patterns. I fall asleep at about 9.30, and, you know, I can't hold my eyelids open. And sometimes she has a hard time getting her eyelids closed before some early hours of the morning. So I'm trying not to wake her up. And I wrote this phrase down in my phone. I think there's something to this. And almost immediately, the, the, the scripture begins to ring in my head. So I'm like, okay, what does the world need most from Christians? And then... It just, just immediately this, this verse strikes my heart. Again, remember the context. This isn't good, right? We're agreed. No, it doesn't matter who you are. Not good that you can't even walk outdoors. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And so I'm typing this out, and I'm thinking, I think there might be something I need to pay attention to. This is like Wednesday night, uh, somewhere in the middle of the morning or Thursday morning. So, um, again, I, by the way, I, that's Micah 6.8. I couldn't remember that at 3 in the morning, but I did look it up. Uh, so when I finally rubbed the sleep out of my eyes, somewhere around the time of the morning when some people are already at work, um, I, I, I thought... I think there must be something to this. So I'm brushing my teeth. I get a cup of coffee. I'm going to the office, and I'm meditating on this idea. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And I, I step back into the office, and I'm, I'm beginning to take a look and looking up this verse. And I thought, he's shown you, oh, man, what is good. And so I began to think about, you know, what, what, what's good. And, and then... 
I'm beginning to think about what's good. Okay, when, when is the first time that we hear that word used? Oh, wait a second. That's all the way at the beginning of the book, isn't it? When God creates the earth and he gave that command of care for creation, now my brain is getting into full action mode because, you know, I'm living in the middle of what's not good. And, and the first time that God talks about the word good, it's because of what he has, has just happened. So this is what's, here, here's what's interesting. Most people can agree on what's not good. Denise and I had a, friends of ours, a man that I worked with, and his we shared, you know, sent out a message asking for prayer. His wife just got a diagnosis of cancer. Our first reply was almost immediately, not good. Man, that's not good. Um, I mean, you, right? We can go down the list. War, um, not good. Addictions, grabbing people's lives where they, they're causing them all kinds of pain, not good. I mean, I mean you go through, the, you know, the systemic injustice, not good. The list can go on and on. Our challenge, though, when we think about this word good, he's shown you a man what is good. Here's our problem in the West with the word good is we use it to talk about the taste of food. You know, like if I go to a restaurant I haven't been to and I have a waiter come to me, I usually say, what do you like? What do you think is good? Give me that. So what is good? Genesis 1. The first time that that word is used, we see the Spirit of God hovering. Now remember what the Spirit of God is hovering over. Darkness, chaos, disorder, non-life. And God comes, his activity brings light, life, order, and beauty. Right? And when that happens, God says, good. And by the way, do, do you think that, would we be able to run that video, Jen? Okay, we're going to run a video. I don't know if you guys are going to be able to catch this very well on the Zoom call, but go for it. Uh, would you just, this is a really, really good description of the word, Hebrew word for good is tov. So go for it. Uh, do we have sound? Okay. No? Okay. If it isn't, okay. All right. It is a great, this just encapsulates it really, really well. But I'll sum up what that video shares. That in the original paleo version of Hebrew, which is a pictorial version of Hebrew. So every letter in the Hebrew alphabet is connected to a picture. The word for good is, there are three letters, tov. And it's primarily centered around these two pictures. The uh, the uh, Tet and then the and then the beta. So the tet is the picture of a circle with an X. And that picture of a circle with an X is the picture of a container that is filled. Okay? And then the other image for the uh, bet is of a house. So 
Here's what you have in the Hebrew language with the word tov, is the picture of a full container of provisions in a house. So you have this image of a house that has full provisions. Now, everybody stay with this thought for a moment. When God first uses the word good, he uses it in the context of actually what he's done. He's brought mankind into a place that is abundant with his provision. Everybody tracking with me, right? A house filled with provision, abundance. And so this container of the house is filled with everything that is needed. And in fact, not just needed, but it's able to bring new life. It's able to reproduce. So you've got an empty house that's not just empty. It's filled with full provision. Tov. That is the word tov. So it's the Garden of Eden. When God makes this place, He doesn't just come to demonstrate His power, but He reveals what's actually good, what it looks like, feels like, how you experience it. And so I'm looking at what Jewish scholars have to say about this word uh, good. Because one of the primary reasons that, that God uses this word is because it relates to the way that God chose to relate to man. He didn't just come to relate to man by the means of power, even though he could have. But he relates to man through the good and the beautiful. Follow me. This is philosophically at the core of the theology that we embrace in which we say we believe God is good. He's not just powerful and right and just. He is good, right? Say it with me. What? He's good. All right. So, tov is this proclamation. So, this is what Hebrew writers have to say about this. comes out of some Midrash study, which is the study of the Old Testament and the Torah and the prophets. And, and so, they, they, they say this. If God had created a world in which he were present only as a higher power, but not as a source of caring, that world would not be able to last. Judaism sees a world in which God is all-powerful all but not kind. It, that kind of a world is an impossibility. Nothing more, of a, more, more than a hypothetical construct that cannot actually exist. In this light, the very existence of the world in and of itself is a testimony to the fact that God is not just powerful, but He is also kind. When God made the earth, tov, he said it's good. It's not just an empty shell. It's good. It's able to bring life. It's able to heal life. It's able to restore. So at the core of creation, what is operating around us, and I'm, I'm thinking about this thought, and I'm like, holy smokes. You see, a lot of us, I've shared with you that I believe part of the challenge that many of us have had, we've grown up in traditions where we see the gospel beginning in Genesis 3, that God relates to us on the basis of our sin, brokenness, and failure. That's wrong. We need to begin in Genesis 1. How did God choose to relate to us? On the basis of his love for us. On the basis of his goodness. When God made the earth, he said, this is good. And so, this is wild. So I'm beginning to think about this, ponder this, like, oh, wow. You know, my wife and I just had this experience of being around some really, really beautiful places. You know what's interesting? 
anywhere you can go in the world. You, you take an atheist, you take a believer, it doesn't matter. You drop them in the middle of created order. When it's in beauty and it's in vibrance, they all look around and go, oh, that's good. They stand by a waterfall just amazed. It's good. This is how God has chosen to reveal who he is. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. So that's not just the right answer to the problem. It's a reality. So he hovers over darkness, chaos, non-life, disorder to reveal light, life, order, and beauty. Tov, good. Man, in the midst of that, living in harmony with the abundant, reproducing, created order in beauty. This is why Hebrew scholars say the word tov, good, is so much more than just opposite of bad. Tov, good, is something that is seen. It's it touches our senses. We smell it. We taste it. We, we experience it in our emotions, in our mind, in our body. A two-year-old knows when something isn't good happening in the house, right? Yes, right? Vegetation around us responds when things are good. We had a good rainfall. Animals, water, air that, that produces life, it's encountered in the safe spaces of family where the welfare of the needy are cared for, uh, where, where good means that others' needs are being met. It's in the very DNA of creation, beloved. When it's good, it brings life. And it does even more than that. It heals. We have, we have friends that come out of Native American First Nations is the way you're supposed to say it properly, who, who have said, you know, in the plants of the earth, there's healing. Oh, wait a minute. I go to Genesis 1 and God says, this is Good, I've given it to you for not just healing, but that it produces life so that in the very core of seeds is this ability to reproduce life. It is so powerful. Tov, good, is so powerful that it can heal and restore and redeem so that Joseph says to his brothers, what you meant for evil... God meant for Tov. Good. Little wonder that the psalmist ends that familiar psalm that many of us know in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell where? In that house that's filled with the abundance of his goodness. The good news that we proclaim today is that there is a place called Tov. Not a pin on a map, but a place where the presence, the peace, the personality of the Godhead are experienced. Tov, where the good way of the good God becomes visible in the lives of men and women, in the present by a community of men and women led by love. 
a place where light, life, order, beauty touches our lives, where it lives in experience, and men and women encounter the goodness of a good God, Tove. Heaven revealed on the earth, not some distant thing that's out in my future, but where God is revealing His goodness. Beloved, this is the witness of 2,000 years of the church when she's operating in surrender to the leadership of Jesus. Yes, there's all kinds of weird stuff and corruption and weirdness. But, beloved, the witness of the church is a place called Tov. And it's our invitation in the present that the good revealed in the garden would be revealed in my life. That a powerful God is not just powerful, but He cares about and for his creation, Tov. All that the merciful God does, he does for the good. That's a Jewish maxim related to the word Tov. See, properly understood, it actually should be the DNA of what it means to be called a Christian, of what it means to be called the church. This place, it's not about bylaws, an organization, not something we belong to. It's, it's something that we are, where, where the goodness of a good God is tangible to the senses, to the emotions, to the mind, to the body, among one another, where we encounter the goodness of a good God. Amen? All right. So he's shown you, oh man, what is good. So let's not overthink it. Micah 6.8. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. The Hebrew word for justice. Uh, one individual said it's nearly impossible to translate because it's so much more than just legal justice. Um, so, you know, often <clears throat> Denise and I like, what you know, watching sometimes the crime shows or whatever, you know. But see, justice isn't about stopping the power abusers or a person getting their fair due for their wrongdoings. Justice, you remember last week we talked about this idea of the scale, that this justice of God, that we need to have the right measure on one side to rightly understand. So, so let me invite us to think about that idea of the scale. If I think about justice, it isn't just that, that I'm able to stop the power abuser or the bad guy gets their due for their wrongdoings, but, but maybe justice has more to do with understanding the right worth and value that God has put on my life and the life of others. So maybe doing justice isn't just about the right answers. It's about living from the place that gives proper value to others, to creation, so that justice means that I'm living from a place of generosity towards all, that there's integrity and equity and restored innocence, that's all a part of justice. 
proper value, the good way, is to do justice. So we celebrate when we begin to see justice, good things being put into the right place. Justice for our nation. May I just get political for just a second? Justice for our nation as a people isn't about whether or not we preserve a constitution. Justice for our nation is that we, we allow that we live from the right place of worth. And so when we are able to look back in history and say, no, that wasn't good, so let's live from the place that is good today. That's right. Okay? That's not labeled to a political party. This is just the good way of justice. And it begins in me, to love mercy. Um, <clears throat> remember the, um, you remember the, what happened in Exodus 32? Moses goes up on the mountain. Joshua leaves his brother in charge. The people come to him and say, you know what, we want to worship. Aaron's like, yeah, that's a good idea. So he says, you know what, help us out with that. We need a worship team. And so Aaron has the best image in his brain of a worship team that comes to his brain. The last one he saw was in Egypt. And so what does he do? He goes and he says, hey, you know, give me your, uh, give me your gold and we'll pound it together and we'll make it into a calf. Why did he do that? Because those are the biggest gods that he had in his, that was the biggest, highest image he had in his brain. And, you know, after all, uh, I can point you to the very verse where it's recorded that Aaron said, this is Yahweh. This is your God. So they put God's name on it. And they're worshiping. Now, <clears throat> it's easy for us to look back and go, man, those guys worshiping a golden calf. We've never done that. I've not. But with that golden calves, empire, wealth, abuse, at the cost of other people. All kinds of, any time that we have taken something and perverted the image of God. Beloved, that's an idol. Okay? And all kinds of them. All kinds of them culturally. So, there's this God, you know, God says, eh, you know, Moses come down from the mountain. Ah, this is horrible. What happened? And, you know, there's a moment of repentance and all this kind of stuff happening. And the people of God are like, oh, dear, what do we do? Moses goes back up on the mountain. And um, <clears throat> this would be a great moment for, for God to say, here's some penance. You're going to have to grovel to see my mercy. And so... Moses said, actually, I'd like to see you, God. And God's response in Exodus 33, the most redemptive act of God toward the most broken place of his people. Think about this. What is the most redemptive act of God toward a people who just committed idolatry, most messed up situation? You made a calf and called it God. Here's the most redemptive act of God. I will let all of my goodness pass before you. 
Same word. When God created the earth and said, Tov, man, this is good. Moses, here's what I'm going to do. This is what will recenter you and my people to know that I'm good. Beloved, the most redemptive encounter for the human heart isn't knowing how far we've fallen or how much our mistakes have cost other people. Yes, we need to look at it. But that which recenters us is a revelation of goodness. So, the path to reconnecting ourselves and others to finding our truest self is to rest in the abundant truth you're good. Little wonder that Paul said this, Romans 2, 4, it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Do justice. Love mercy. You can't out-love mercy. All the silliness of anybody saying, oh, we don't want to get sloppy with that. Wait a minute. Remember the God who met Moses? He said, this is what's going to be the most healing, redemptive, restorative work for my people is to know I'm good. Amen? All right. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Um, I had a Hebrew scholar, by the way, I was reaching for a lot of Hebrew scholars on this stuff. He said this really, really well. Humility is the orphaned virtue of this age. I agree. Um, If I could give a just, and this is kind of a loose paraphrase of, uh, of humility. It's related to these very same things, you know, valuing what God values. Um, this same writer who said humility is the orphan virtue of this age, he described humility. He said, you know when you've been in the presence of somebody walking in humility, this way, you know when we have been in the presence of someone in whom the divine presence breathes, when we feel affirmed and enlarged. Walk humbly. Wait, you mean so humility isn't just about my ability to walk humble before people so that I'm not praising myself? Actually, beloved, humility is far more than just self-deprecation. Jesus gives us the example of what humility looks like, that in being very nature God, He doesn't grasp for it, but he lays down his life for others around him. We know that we have lived in the presence of someone in whom the divine presence breathes when we feel enlarged and affirmed. What happens when men and women came into the presence of Jesus is the servant of all is proclaiming what God looks like. Again, it comes back to this revelation of goodness. I find myself... See, nowadays, as I, as I wrestle with these thoughts deeper and deeper, I'm like, oh, Lord, I, this really is at the center of what this is about. So I, I find myself these days less and less trying to figure out the political debates of the day. You know, I used to be like a guy who would read the news and shake my head in disgust. Ah, those people. 
And see, what I found is it was a lot easier back in, when I was shaking my head in disgust because I could, I could look, make a decision, judge who's right, judge who's wrong. Whether I said it vocally or not, internally I would judge them. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. What does it look like in the garden? Oh, wait a minute. What does it look like in the garden? Me pointing out the error, the foolish, and the arrogant? Or, or wait a minute, what did Jesus do? While they were arguing about who was being the greatest and the best and who's going to sit at the right and the left, he picked up a towel and he washes their feet. Me pointing out the error of the foolish or the arrogant or me serving the foolish in love. Which one reveals toth, goodness? He's shown you a man what is good, to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. The power to point out my conclusion or the power to lay down my life. Toth. Beloved, the good news that we're proclaiming. I told my wife, I said, we might be coming back to this theme. I, I really feel like it. There, there's a theme in it. This is what I want to be. Not a place on a map, but a place where the presence and the peace and the personality that God had are tangible. I've experienced that at, at times. My wife and I have experienced it at times. I, I joke with her. <laughs> you know, there are times when it's in us and, you know, it's like, wow, that's fun. And there are other times it's not so much in us. But um, in this last time what Denise and I were on our trip, I was joking because I took pictures of her at different places where she would be meeting with somebody and just begin to talk to them. You know, the guy that's shaking her down at the, at the TSA because she took what was it, shampoo or something in your bag? Laundry detergent in our bag because, you know, God forbid you take laundry detergent with you. And uh, I'm watching her and this guy, and now she's laughing, and now this guy's laughing. I thought, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I took a picture. Tove. I didn't call it that then. A little bit later, the next day, as we're sitting down, I'm watching her talk to another individual, and I thought, oh, what's going on? I look over, and this lady, in the middle of her work, is weeping. Oh, I know what Denise is doing. <laughs> Beloved, the world hungers for goodness to be revealed, that goodness. When, 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 and I, I'm not, I, I, please don't hear, I, there's no sense in which I'm trying to say, look, we arrive. No, we, we arrive when we surrender and say, you know what, Lord, I believe this is actually the most relevant way I can live surrendered so that the good way of the good God becomes visible in my life and present. Where light, life, order, and beauty are revealed on the earth today. That, beloved, is 2,000 years of witness of the church. That's what we signed up for. A powerful God. Yes, but he cares about and for his creation. Tove. What does the world need most from Christians? I think that might be one of the answers. 
I want to invite you guys to stand with me, and um, let's close with this prayer. This is a prayer that um, I typically pray just about every day. It's one of my closing prayers uh, in my regular prayer liturgy that I go through, but it really felt like it was fitting on this topic of what we're looking at today. So I'm going to invite you to pray this with me, and then we're to come to communion. If you're on the call, if you just grab something and be ready to join us. But let's, let's pray this prayer together. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your humble servants, give you thanks for all your goodness and your loving kindness to us and to all you whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ for the means of grace and the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts, we would show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but with our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages, forever and ever. Amen. Almighty God, we come to this table.